Well, good morning, everybody. Um, you know, we're about halfway through our 40-day spiritual adventure on Love Works, and uh, I just want to encourage you, it is not too late to jump in on this. Uh, maybe you, you know, you've kind of thought, ah, I'll just catch the next thing or whatever. I mean, don't do that. Or maybe, you know, this is your first week in here, it's not too late to get started. I mean, uh, it'll be a 19-day spiritual adventure for you. Don't diminish that. God wants to do something in your life. He doesn't need 40 days to do it, you know, so... Take advantage of that. Let me tell you what you can do. <clears throat> you can get one of these little devotional booklets. And uh, if you get one, start today. Don't go back to the beginning. Go to Sunday, March 3rd, and start today. If you get to the end and you want to go back and catch up, that's fine. But, but don't try to, you know, get all the pages filled in and all that stuff. In fact, some of you, you know, got one of these things. And, you know, you started and you did two or three days. Then you missed two or three days. And then, you know, you got discouraged and you've just thrown it aside and so forth. Don't do that. Don't do that. I mean, it is okay to miss days. I mean, if, here, this is my book, and I got days in here that aren't done. That, that is okay, all right? In fact, let me, let me give you a little secret. Here's what you do when you miss a day. You turn the page, you know? <laughs> you go to today. That's okay, you know? No, you're allowed to go back and catch it. But the goal, it doesn't matter if you have all 40 days filled in. That's not the big deal here. In fact, here's what I'd say, and that's why I say, get it today and start today. If you get to the end of this thing and you have five days in here, then, then listen to me. You have put yourself in a position for God to speak to you from his word for five days. That's a good thing, right? So take advantage of it. Don't, don't worry about missing anything. If you, if you get them all done, there's no cash prizes or any of that stuff. But obviously the more days you have, the more you put yourself in a position for God to speak to you that day. But uh, take advantage of that. And so th these are $2, and there's still some out there, and you can get one. If you're not in a group, it's not too late to get in a group. You know, but put yourself in a place for God to work in you on this theme of because of celebrating God's love for us, seeing how he wants to work in us to the world around us. So take advantage of that. Well, um, if you uh, have your Bible, you can turn in your Bible or open your app with me to Acts chapter 16, verse 10. I'm going to be there uh, in a little bit, but I want to talk this morning about callings, and uh, let me start that with a little church history lesson. I really believe that post-Reformation, that's where we are, I, I think we have largely abandoned the idea of the priesthood of believers. Now, if you have no idea what that last sentence even meant, let me kind of bring you up to speed here. Um, the Reformation, you know, that was Martin Luther and uh, his followers, who were referred to as protesting religionists, a big upheaval in the church, the church at large. Uh, and uh, that was really about two main aspects. The Reformation really, I think, had two primary aspects about it. Aspect number one was the aspect that we are justified by faith alone. It's the aspect of grace, that you don't contribute to your salvation at all. That we don't bring anything to the bargaining table for our salvation except for my sin. That it is all about Jesus shed blood for me and zero about any efforts that I do. In fact, even the faith to believe is a gift from God. That we are justified, not through anything we do, but by faith in the shed blood of Jesus alone. That was aspect number one. 
An aspect number two in the Reformation had to do with the priesthood of believers. That there are not two classes of Christians. But you see, what had happened throughout church history is that over time there came to be this class of Christians who were referred to as the clergy. You know, the priests, the full-time called ones. They were the ones who did all the ministry. And so there started to be this widening gap between the clergy and the laity. The clergy, see, were seen to be the ones who had the special holy calling on their life. And then everybody else who didn't have a call, but who just sat under the teaching and the ministry of the called ones. But the reformers came along and said, no, 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 that's not how it is. Yes, there are leaders in the church, but the job of leaders in the church is to equip and to train and to release everybody into their callings. That all the people of God are called to do the ministry and the mission of God. And so the idea of holy callings is for every single Christian. But what has happened over time since the Reformation, I believe, is we have, again, misunderstood this. And we've gone back to this sense of there being two classes of Christians. And we've built churches around Sunday morning shows who have leaders who are gifted to teach and to preach and to lead worship. And we think they're the called ones. In fact, we... We start thinking that, that um, all the rest of us aren't. They're the called ones. In fact, you know, there's other things that we do that kind of promote this. You know, you go, to, you go to camp. Some of you had this experience. You know, you, you go to camp and somebody delivers a message and says, Hey, some of you are feeling God's call to, to be a pastor or to be a missionary. And if that's the case, you know, you can come up and throw this stick in the fire and, and, and so forth and just signify that, make a, make a statement here, you know, that, that that's what you're going to do. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that because some people are called to vocational ministry. But see, what happens as a result of that kind of thinking is we create this spectator Christian culture where the majority of people who, who don't see themselves as being especially gifted Watch and listen to the gifted, called people who teach and preach and lead. The only problem with that is the Bible at every turn disagrees with it. In fact, the Bible tells us that all of us, that if you are called to Jesus, then you have also been called to be fruitful for Jesus. And so the question is not, are all Christians called? Because the Bible clearly tells us that we are. But rather the question is this, are we learning to identify and walk out our individual callings? That's the question. So here in Acts chapter 16, verse 10, let's start with this verse. It says, after Paul had seen the vision... We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
they had experienced this call to go to Macedonia to preach the gospel. Now, let me give you a couple of points about callings. And if you haven't done so, you may want to reach in and pull out your message notes. And there's a, a lot of blanks you can fill in if you care to do so. But a couple of points about callings just to get us started. Here's the first. Is that your first and primary calling is not for Jesus, but to Jesus. Listen to me. God doesn't need any of our efforts to get things done. You know that, don't you? And so where it begins is this. That God loved you enough to send his own son to die on a bloody cross in order to pay for your sin problem. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That's what gospel means. That is the good news that's referred to here in this verse in Acts 16.10. That's referred to that they were called to go and preach there in Macedonia. But what you need to understand is that this verse here in Acts 16. Where Paul is being called to go to Macedonia and preach the gospel for God. This was preceded. By a Damascus road calling of Paul where he was called to God back in Acts chapter 9. You can go home and read that later if you care to do so. But it's critical that we understand the difference between those two callings. See all of our constant talk around here about finding our identity in Christ comes from understanding the difference between those two calls. That our rest in Christ doesn't come from doing stuff for Jesus. But because you are secure in your call to Jesus, that's why out of gratitude you respond by doing stuff for him. You've got to know the difference. See, because the more you do for God, thinking that by doing it I'm earning favor with him, then the more you will turn good things into idols in the process. And so the first call isn't to get busy. The first call is to get saved. And to rest in the security of the favor that's yours totally because you are in Christ. It's a calling to Christ before there's a call for Christ. And the devil loves it when we get those two things mixed up. Because it turns us into legalists. It turns us into people who come to God feeling entitled. Hey God, I did these things for you. How come you didn't let this work out? How come, God, you let this happen in my life? I mean, here, I've done all these things and, and so forth. And what it does is it robs us of our rest and our daily need to trust in and depend on Jesus. Listen, who owes us nothing. And in fact, he has already done massively beyond what we could ever deserve in paying for our sin on the cross. And so the first call isn't to get busy for Jesus. It's to know and to treasure and to enjoy Jesus as the Savior of your soul. 
and to daily recognize our need to trust in and depend on Jesus to save me. And that message is true for you this morning if you have never taken that first step to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And it is equally true for you this morning if you took that step 50 years ago. That the first order of business, though, is this. Have you bowed your knee to Jesus to be your Savior? Have you received what he did for you in dying for you on the cross? Are you clear about that? If you've never taken that step, don't leave here this morning not knowing that you have. You know, if if in your mind it's still foggy and you're thinking, well, I'm just doing the best I can and I'm trying. If you're thinking that way, don't leave here without talking to somebody. Somebody you came with or one of our prayer partners during the ministry time or somebody in the hallway. Make sure that you know Jesus. That you've received that call to Jesus and responded to it and made him your savior. That's a calling to Jesus. But after that. There's a second calling. See, there's a calling to Jesus, but there's also a calling to be fruitful for Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, it says this. It says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. You see, once we're saved, we're to use our gifts. That's what Pastor Brian talked about last weekend. And we're to use the opportunities that are placed in front of us to work out our callings. That there is a calling to Jesus first, and then a calling for Jesus after. To be fruitful for him. So, here's my second big point. Is that callings then are for all of God's people. And they're multiple, not singular. They're multiple. You see, I think not only have we mistakenly limited holy callings for God to just a few who have a vocational calling, but I think we've just way misunderstood what callings are in general. A few weeks ago, Pastor Claude talked about callings. And so in our small groups that week, we... uh, one of the questions was, hey, what do you sense maybe God is calling you to? And, and I read the reports every week and about what goes on in groups. And uh, someone in a group had kind of said kind of tongue-in-cheek as they were discussing that. Well, I feel God's call to harpoon hippos in Africa. And they all had a good laugh about that. And when I read the report, I had a good laugh about that. You know, it was funny and, and humorous. And everyone joked around about it and stuff. And but I was thinking about that comment. I thought, you know, I think it, it signifies what we all tend to do. And that is we, we take this idea of callings and we just limit it to these big, hairy vocational callings. You know, to be a pastor or to be a missionary or to harpoon hippos in Africa. You know, something like that. But the truth is all of us who are in Christ have multiple Holy callings on our lives. All of us do. If you're a husband, then you are called to lead your wife's sanctification. Do you know that? Do you realize that? 
Now, here's what I mean by that. Your wife's spiritual walk isn't your responsibility. You can't make it your responsibility because it's not in your control. You can't control her choices. But it is your responsibility to cultivate the culture for her spiritual advancement. That is a holy calling that you have on you if you're a husband this morning. If you're a parent, then you are called to lead your children spiritually. Listen to me. Don't relegate the spiritual development of your children to the youth pastor or the children's ministry director. Don't do that. Yes, partner with them, but don't relegate that away. Don't give that away. It's your calling. And again, you can't make your kids' spiritual walk your responsibility because you can't make choices for them. But it is your responsibility to cultivate it and do all that's in your power to steer its development. You're called. That is a holy calling on you if you're a parent. Now suddenly the people who don't have any children or who are single and unmarried, they all like me now. You're glad they came this morning. Not so much the rest of you. I But you know, this whole aspect of callings, that's one of the reasons why we badger you nonstop about being in a small group. Because it's your responsibility to be in community so that you you can be discovering, as Brian mentioned last week, and, and using your gifts. I think one of the primary ways that you start using your gifts is right there within your group. That is the church. That you're using your gifts right there amongst each other, being the body of Christ to each other. And it's one of the reasons why you need diversity of gifts right in your group. I listened to a guy this past week who said uh, that, you know, if you had a small group where everybody had the gift of mercy, it would be the most dysfunctional place on planet Earth, you know? I mean, some of you would be smoking crack right in the meeting and they'd be going, hey, that's okay. Jesus loves you. He cares, you know. See, you need the diversity to, to live out the gifts. to be. But, but there's, a, there's a chance that, that one of your callings this Tuesday night is going to be sitting across the circle from you in somebody's living room. See? It, it's our responsibility to be in those contexts where that can happen. Okay, now those of you who aren't in a small group are mad at me too. So I'm getting to everybody. So just hold, you know, wait your turn, okay? <laughs> but here's what I want to spend the rest of my time on this morning. How do you know what to do? I mean, beyond our families, beyond the people in my small group, of all these myriad of opportunities, of ministries and, and, and situations that are out there, these needs, both, both inside the walls of new life and, and, and the whole world out there beyond, how do we know what we ought to be engaged in for God? How, how do I know that? How do I I lock into my callings? Well, I think it's part of a question that was asked by one of Jesus' questioners in one of his most famous stories. And so I want to spend some time there. If you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 10, you can. This is a story that whether you grew up in church or, or maybe didn't go to church at all, you've probably heard this story. I'll start with the background and then lead into this story about the Good Samaritan. But I'm sorry, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, let me lead up to the background that that led to Jesus telling this story. Again, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, it says this, On one occasion, 
an expert in the law, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And so in response to that question, Jesus tells a story. It says, verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him. And they went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his donkey and brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. See, the question that this expert asked Jesus, who is my neighbor, is really the question that we're asking. Okay, well, which of these people out there, which of these needs out there, which ones do I engage in? So for the past few weeks, I've been thinking on this parable and meditating on it and, and, and trying to pull some insights out of it. And I, and I think I've pulled several that, that are of this. And so, but, but, but let me say this up front. I don't think this is the main point that Jesus is making in the story. I don't think that's the, the biggest point of this story. But I do think these are just, it's a good story. And it's a deep story. And I think there's good points, principles, insights to be pulled out of them. So I want to share those. But I'm not sure how much of these are biblical directive and how much are just what Jay thinks, so you can just disregard as many as you want, okay? But I think there are some good insights here about this aspect of, of, of okay, so, so of these needs, of these opportunities, how do I know what, how do, I, how, do I, how do I lock into what's my callings, okay? Here's my first insight, is I think that our default should be to say yes, to the needs that are right in front of us. That should be our default. Now I'm not saying that we should always say yes. But I think we should start with why not me? I mean why not me? Keith Green who was a pioneer in the Christian music industry. Died in the early 80's. He used to sing Jesus commands us to go. It should be the exception. If we stay. He used to say, the need is the call. Hey, the need's there. Why aren't we all responding to it? You know, why not start with why not me? Henry Blackaby says this. He said, you know, God is at work 
all the time, everywhere. And so when you see a need, when God puts a, an opportunity, a need in front of you, it could be God inviting you to engage with him in the work he's already doing. See, again, you realize that God doesn't need any of us to get things done. But in his mercy, in his grace, he uses us. And so when there's things placed in front of us, it could be God inviting us to get in on what he's working, doing all the time, everywhere. It's, a, it's an invitation to engage with him in what he's doing. Now, certainly there, there's other factors to consider. I mean, again, I got nine more points here, right? You know? But here's what I know about me, true confession. I'm one of those people who is too quick most of the time to disregard a need or an opportunity is something that somebody else ought to do. And all I'm saying is what it ought, where it ought to start with is why not me? Why not me? Doesn't mean it should be, but, but why not me? Why don't, why don't we start there? That's what this Samaritan did, and obviously the priest and Levite didn't do. Why not me? And so he came to this man's rescue. Here's a second insight. I think urgency and immediacy of the need is a factor. You know, Brian talked last week about giftings last weekend, and certainly that's a key determining, a determinant in deciding what we should engage in and what we shouldn't. But it would have been ludicrous for this guy in the story to not have stopped and helped because it wasn't his gift. Right? I mean, the guy was half dead beside the road. He didn't stop and say, well, you know, I don't have the helping half dead ministry, you know, calling. See, there was an immediacy. There was, a, a, there was a, an urgency. And sometimes gifts and skills don't matter. There are times when what has been placed right in front of us is urgent enough to call us into action. But, by the same token, there are also times when we shouldn't step in. In fact, I would say this. I think many of us need to get better at being able to say no. Right? In fact, let's practice that together. Can, you, can we do it? One, two, three. No. Yeah, some of you are a little slow on it. See, you need more practice. One, two, three. No. It's okay to say no. Here's what I have discovered. I've discovered that every time you say yes to something, you are saying no to something else. And what can easily happen to those of us who say yes too easily is the more important things get crowded out by the less important things. So there are times when we should say no. And it's okay. But there's other times when the urgency, when the immediacy calls for just stepping in there, just meeting the need. Well, how do you know when to say no? Here's number three. I think there's a few questions you ought to ask. A couple questions you ought to ask. Here's one of them. I think you ought to ask the question, is there somebody else who should better respond to this? Or, or maybe a better way to put it, is it likely that someone who should will? <laughs> You know, in time. Now, I mean, come on. I mean, there's always somebody else who could do it better than you. Don't, don't, don't. But is there somebody else who legitimately should, and will they in time to meet this need? Sometimes we just do stuff that's beyond our callings because the need's there, and quite frankly, I can meet it. So we do. 
We recognize that as an opportunity from God. But at the same point, we shouldn't respond to doing everything that you can just because you can. Got to help wrestle with the difference there. And sometimes we need to say, you know what, that is something that somebody else should do. Here's another question you need to ask. Insight number four is, do I have the resources to meet this opportunity? I mean, the Samaritan in this story had the resources, right? He had bandages. He had oil and wine for this man's wounds. He had a donkey that he put him on. He had financial resources, money to pay for the extended care of this individual. And so I think a legitimate question is, do I have the resources for this need, this opportunity? And bear in mind, resources aren't just financial, are they? Resources are things like time. Do I legitimately have the time for this without putting aside more legitimate things? Do I have the energy? That's a resource. Do I have the emotional strength? Do I have that resource available for this situation? Here's one. Do I have the stability that's needed for this? I mean, there are some of you, because of sobriety struggles, that even though there's a great need put right in front of you, it wouldn't be smart for you to engage with it because of the temptation situation. It would open up to you. you got to know that. You don't have the resources for that. There's some of you that because of other time demands or other demands on your life already have to recognize that even though this is a need, it wouldn't be smart for you to engage in that need right now. And so it's okay to say no, and sometimes you should say no because you don't have the resources to meet that need or that opportunity. Here's one. Insight number five is this. I think this is a big one. Is don't let fear stop you. It is easy to let fear stop us from acting, isn't it? Isn't it? In fact, as men, let me talk to men for just a second. I think as men, fear tends to be the primary factor in our lives. And so here's what we do. If there's a situation where we don't feel fully competent... What we do is either we pull back in passivity or we aggressively force ourselves on everyone in every situation. Anybody know what I'm talking about? See, it's easy to let fear be the determining factor in our lives. But by the same token, fear can keep us from acting. And sometimes it should, right? I mean, sometimes, you know, we should say, hey, it's 3 a.m. and it's a dark, deserted highway and there's a guy who needs a ride and he's carrying an axe and maybe I shouldn't step into this. I mean, some, I mean don't be stupid. This Samaritan had good reason to be afraid, didn't he? I mean, here was a guy beside the road who was half dead, beaten up. Maybe it's a trap. Maybe if he stopped, other robbers would do the same thing to him that they had done to this guy. Fear was probably what caused the priest and the Levite to keep on walking. See? But sometimes we need to interrupt our well-ordered plans and just be willing. Sometimes we need to step out of our comfort zone 
Not let fear keep us trapped in what's comfortable to us. Step out of our comfort zone and just trust God. Don't let fear be what stops us. Here's insight number six. Is that you don't have to wait to be asked. You can initiate. Maybe you should initiate the contact. I mean, the Samaritan wasn't asked. He initiated the contact. Some of us, what we think is, well, I'd do something for God if somebody asked me, but no one's asked me. Maybe you should be the one to initiate the contact. You know, I was thinking in this question of who is my neighbor, and I thought, you know, the, probably the first place you should start in trying to question about that might be your neighbor. <laughs> you know, the people you live next to and nearby. In fact, I was thinking, you know, all of us have, you know, you have somebody who lives on this side, and you have somebody who lives on this side, and then you have somebody who lives across the hall or, or across the street, and then, you know, whoever's diagonally, right next to them on both sides there. Those five neighbors, I mean, start there. In our culture in this day, 2013, it's not unusual for us to not even know our neighbors. But, but here's what I believe. I believe God has put you in the place where you live on purpose. God, who is sovereign and in control, put you there divinely on purpose. And maybe part of that purpose is for you to be Jesus to those people who live right around you. Maybe it's for you to just show what it's like to, to be someone who loves and knows Jesus to them. And so maybe you should be the one who should initiate the contact. Now, now, don't show up, you know, with a casserole on the door saying, hey, I love Jesus and you're going to hell and so I want you to have this. <laughs> Again, don't be stupid. But maybe it just starts with learning their names. Maybe it starts with just deciding, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to pray for the five neighbors, you know, here, here, across the street, across the hall, and right next to them. I'm just going to start there and I'm going to pray for, for God to just give me opportunities to just be Jesus. To just show love works to those people. Out of my gratitude for who Jesus is and what he's done for me in my life. Maybe it just starts there. Maybe we need to stop waiting to be asked. And us decide to be the ones who initiates the contact. Here's number seven. As I think in this journey for, for finding our callings, you look for what grabs your heart. You know, in verse 33 in this story, it says that the Samaritan took pity on the man. He had compassion for him. You know, compassion and passion, it's the same root word. You look for what starts to grab your heart. Now, some of us are bleeding hearts, and we need to learn to temper our hearts with our heads. We're the ones who need to learn to say no more. But there are others of us who are like the Grinch, and our heart needs to grow a couple of sizes. And so we need to just put ourselves out there more to give ourselves a chance to find out what will grab our hearts. Or will we start to have compassion and passion about? Number eight is this. God's heart is constantly drawn to the downtrodden. So why not start there? You know, this man alongside the road was definitely downtrodden, wasn't he? He was beat up, left half dead to die. 
God's heart is constantly drawn to the poor, to the disenfranchised, to the needy. Jesus said, if you've done it, if you do it to the least of these, you've done it to me. So start there. I think in our day, you know, not only the, the, the you know, financial and those kinds of needs, but I think the whole issue of human trafficking fits into that aspect. You know, the reality of that, that need even in our city of Columbus and, and even in Gehanna. Open ourselves up to, to how God might use us to the least of these. You know, I'm in this 10-minute uh, workout couple of weeks back, Lynn Martin. Here, Lynn, I'm using your illustration right here, okay? There will be no financial remuneration for this, by the way. But, <laughs> but on day seven, Lynn, Lynn, I was struck by this. Lynn said, you know, God identifies with the poor and the needy. That, that hit me because it's, it's so true, doesn't it? Throughout scriptures, you just see that over and over. God's heart is drawn to the disenfranchised, to the needy, to the, to the poor. And then at the end of that devotional, here's the prayer that that Lynn wrote for us. It's this. He says, Lord, since you have chosen to identify yourself with the needy and the poor, and since I want so much to honor you and bring a smile to your face, give me the grace and the courage to reach out of myself to those whom you have placed in my path and supply their needs. That's a good prayer, isn't it? God's heart is drawn to the downtrodden. Why not start there? Here's number nine, principle number nine, insight number nine is this. That if you haven't locked in on the calling that God has for you, then just lock on to someone else's calling. And often, in the process, you'll find yours. Here's what, here, 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 I'll put that point even more succinctly. No one is called to sit on their rear end for Jesus. None of our callings. And so if you don't know what God is calling you to do, just pick something. Just put yourself out there. Listen, not in an effort to earn God's favor. You already have it if you're in Christ. But out of gratitude for the favor that he's shown us on the cross. So just engage somewhere, lock on to someone else's vision, and then don't be surprised if in the midst of it you find your own calling along the journey. See, this Samaritan didn't go on this journey for this purpose, but in the midst of it, God calls him out to something. He interrupts his plans and he calls him to something else. I think God calls us out of activity, not inactivity. So just lock on to somebody else's one. And along the way, don't be surprised if you start to find out what your heart starts to beat for. Where your passion and compassion get engaged. And then here's the last one, number 10. Is that sometimes callings are long term. And sometimes they're just for a season. You know, this Samaritan didn't, like, um, start, go for, and again, it's just a made-up story, but he doesn't go from this to, to, like, start, you know, I'm the help guys alongside the road ministry. I've started that, you know, I mean, no. The, here, he, he just met this man's needs, and then he went on to something else. And sometimes calls are for a lifetime, 
And sometimes they're for a season. And sometimes they're just for a moment. But what my prayer is, is that you will begin, that we will begin to expand our view of what callings are. And we'll start to to believe that all of us have been called. All of us, if you're in Christ this morning, have holy callings on our lives. That if you have been called to Jesus, then you have callings on your life to be fruitful for Jesus. And so start to put ourselves out there so we can hear God direct us in that so that as a result, his kingdom will advance and he'll receive the glory. Isn't that what we want? So let me pray for us. Dear Jesus, I would pray that in the days and weeks and months to come, that we will be motivated more and more to just put ourselves out there. Again, not for some misguided notion that our rest comes in what we're doing. But out of the security that we have of of who we are in you and the, the, the gratitude of that. God, that we would say, I want your kingdom to advance. Bring it. God, and use me in the process. Help me to engage with that. Help me to find out what are the things you're calling me to so that you become more famous, God. And so I do it, God, because I love you. And I'm so grateful. So do a work in each of us and use us for your greater glory, we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to continue to worship. And uh, as we do so, I want to invite you to do a few things. One is um, that there's prayer partners here uh, that would love to pray with you. Maybe it's about something that's here. Maybe as you've heard what, what I've talked about, maybe the Holy Spirit has started to stir something in you and say, man, would you just pray for me that I would start to see what it is that God wants me to do? Or maybe some of you would say, you know what? I don't know that I know Jesus. And I want to know that I know Jesus. Would you pray for me? Man, these people, they're living out their callings. Just engage with them in this while we're all worshiping together. Maybe there's some of you here and, and you know, you would just benefit from somebody praying with you and for you about something that has nothing to do with anything I've talked about. But it's a time for us just to engage and, and come. It's a time for all of us to worship and to, to out of glad and sincere hearts express this gratitude to God, recognizing what he, who he is and what he's done and what he's doing in us. So let's respond to him with our worship. Can we do that? Let's stand together and let's sing. And and as we do so, let's not just sing words. Let's sing from our hearts. Can we do that?